Some of you are probably like I am. We missed what I would argue would be the biggest explosion in men's basketball. We missed kind of Michael Jordan, didn't we? Uh, most of you, like I am, grew up in the 90s. We didn't really see a lot of Jordan. Like all you guys who are in the 80s, you know if somebody brings up the GOAT, the greatest of all time, i got to make sure everybody knows what the reference means, uh, that we, you probably think it's Jordan. But for my generation, we always think who is the GOAT, who is the one that's going to be a comparison. I know it's going to be a controversy, but if you ask any millennial, anybody who's born in the 90s, Fallon wasn't, by the way, um, and if you ask anybody who was born in the 90s, early 2000s, they would arguably say that LeBron James is probably the greatest basketball player of our generation. Chris Meeks already. He's already toned out. Uh, he said, you lost me when you said something about James. But if you remember in 2005, Nike had a massive campaign about LeBron James called We Are Witnesses. Some of you probably remember this iconic campaign that Nike did. It was LeBron James. He played for the Cleveland Cavaliers, and he played with them, and he was standing before the crowd with chalk, and he would throw up the chalk, and the whole arena would explode. They would throw up chalk as well, some powder, different things like that. And uh, he would stand before the crowd, and the whole slogan was that we are all witnesses to the greatness that is going to be LeBron James. And this was a massive campaign. Talk about multi-million dollar campaign. There were shirts made of this. I had one of those shirts back in the day. It says, We Are Witnesses. It was black and had LeBron's number on the back of it. And so understanding that this idea that we were all witnessing something profound and powerful in our generation. And understanding not only that what he was doing on the court was powerful, but his impact on the culture was extremely powerful. That anybody and everybody who talked about basketball, anybody and everybody who knew anything about basketball, was talking about from a very early age whether Jordan or LeBron was the greatest of all time. And of course, as time went on, that debate has grown and grown and grown. But I always remember that campaign for a specific reason. Because much like we all witness what LeBron James is doing, we are all witnesses to what Jesus Christ has done. That's where you say amen. When I pause, that's when you say something. Okay, that's dramatic effect. I'll make sure you understand that, okay? Uh, and so understanding that we are all witnesses to what Jesus has done. That's my point number one. We are witnesses. I love this in the book of Acts because look what Jesus tells them in verse number eight. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses. Look what he says there though. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. We have been empowered by the Spirit of God, church, not to just live holy lives. We haven't been just empowered to grow in holiness, but we've been empowered to share the good news of the gospel. We've been empowered to be witnesses, to tell people what Jesus has done, what Jesus is continuing to do, and what Jesus is going to do. Because if you think about it, when you get called as a witness to a court case, you are called in and they place you beside the bench. And you've probably seen it in many commercials or many stores, not stores, uh, many shows, right? And you've probably seen it where they say, hey, raise your right hand. Do you solemnly swear to tell the truth? So I'll help you, God. And you know that they are there because they are called to testify by what they have seen and heard with their own eyes. And if they say something they have not seen, they have not heard, it's struck from the record. Why? Because they can only testify from what they've seen and what they've heard. And the reality of it is, church, I want to challenge you to understand that we might send funds to missionaries, we might support missionaries, we might pray for missionaries, but I want to tell you this very plainly, we're all missionaries. We are all witnesses. That at the end of the day, I love what Charles Spurgeon said about it. He says, you're either a missionary or you're an imposter. 
At the end of the day, that is the truth of the gospel. The gospel changes us and implores us, empowers us through God's Spirit to share the gospel. I love how these men, they spent three and a half years with Jesus. Three and a half years, they sat beside him when he was teaching. They, they watched him do miracles. Can you imagine the campfire scene when they were there? Like, do it again, Jesus. Do it again, Jesus. At the end of the day, they spent more time with Jesus in those three and a half years than me and you could ever fathom to spend. And he leaves them. He goes up into the clouds. Beam him up, Scotty. You know what I'm saying? I mean, he, he literally just goes straight up. And the text is so powerful here. It says the men just stood there with mouths open. They stood there so long, church, that God had to send angels to kind of smack them in the back of the head say, y'all got to get to work because you're wasting time. You've got to get to work. This man, Jesus, who is taken up for you, he will return in the same manner. Think about how powerful that is that they themselves had seen Jesus live, walked Jesus walk, and at the end of the day, they had seen Jesus be taken up. And Jesus didn't leave them, though, powerless. He left them empowered. And he empowered them with the power of his Spirit, saying, guess what? I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, and you're going to be my witnesses. Not only are you going to be my witnesses, but look what he, he says. You're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem. You're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Witnessing starts at home. Let me tell you something. I've rode on a lot of planes in my life. I've been on three international mission trips. I've been on a dozen here in the States, all over uh, Kentucky and Tennessee, different parts around the United States. And every time I'm reminded of this common, common truth, mission trips don't make missionaries. Look at me. Mission trips don't make missionaries. Missionaries take mission trips. Some of y'all missed it. I just saw it. It just went floom. What do I mean? I've never seen a 747 turn somebody into a missionary. I've never seen somebody walk onto a plane, hunter, and all of a sudden they're like, I know the Bible more. I've never seen somebody walk on the plane and say, I love my neighbor more. I've never seen anybody walk on the plane. Now, I've seen people go on missionary trips with the wrong motives. I've seen people want to go sightseeing. When we're not there to see sights, we're there to see the glory of God happen. At the end of the day, it is missionaries that take mission trips. It is not mission trips that change people into missionaries. We are missionaries first at home, and then it's around the globe. Because let me tell you this, church, God doesn't call all of us, pay attention here, you'll miss this, God doesn't call all of us to cross the globe. He doesn't. God has not placed that call in my life for me to get up and take my family and uproot us and go to Africa or go to China or go to Brazil. God has not called my family to do those things. But I have brothers and sisters in the church who God has called to do those things. Praise God for them. Amen. God has called those people. But you know what God has called all of us to do? He has not called us all to cross the globe, but God has called all of us to cross the street. God has called all of us to cross the work place. God has called all of us to cross the classroom. God has called all of us to cross the neighborhood. God has called all of us to take the gospel to people who are dying and going to hell. And there are not just lost people in Africa. There are not just lost people in Brazil. There are not just lost people in China. There are lost people in McCracken, Marshall, and Livingston County. And there are lost people even in this room. The big lie in the South is what? Everybody's saved and everybody's going to heaven. That is a lie. That the demons of hell wish you would believe. And many of you have swallowed it hook, line, and sinker. And the truth of the gospel is we are all called to be 
witnesses. We are all called. Point number two, witnessing is a natural overflow of what we have seen and heard. It's a natural overflow of what we have seen and heard. I'll give you a text example of this. When Peter and John are walking into the temple and later in the book of Acts in chapter 4, it says they meet a lame beggar. You know the story, right? The lame beggar says, hey, do you have any silver or gold? And I love what the apostles do. The apostles say, silver or gold, have I none, but in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. You know what I'm saying? Like the man gets up and walks. And then, of course, they get, they get round up by the religious fire department in that day and age, right? And they say, hey, you can't be doing that stuff. You can't be, can't be doing this stuff. You can't be healing on the Sabbath. Like, we can't do this kind of stuff. I know Jesus did this, but you can't do this. And let's pick up in the story what happens. To when they're getting interrogated by these men, look what the text says about them. In, he, in Acts chapter 4, verse 13 to 22. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived that they were uneducated, common men, and they were astonished. But they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Do you hear that, church? They were uneducated, common men, but they were astonished. Why? Because they recognized that these were the men who had been with Jesus. Let me tell you this. There is nothing wrong with education. There's absolutely nothing wrong with education. I'm a firm believer that if you are called to serve in a ministry capacity, I'm a firm believer you should go to seminary. I'm, I'm taking classes right now myself. At the end of the day, I firmly believe we should be educated in the things of God. But education is not the thing that sets us apart. No, it's God's calling on our lives that sets us apart. Because these men were uneducated. What does that mean, guys? Peter and James and John, all those guys who were Jesus' disciples, they didn't make the cut. They were common, uneducated men. You know what that means? They had tried to work through the Hebrew school of becoming rabbis, and they didn't make the cut. Eventually, for young Jewish boys, when they were growing up and they were expected to learn the Torah, expected to learn the things of God, once they reached a certain age, if they couldn't pass the test anymore, the rabbi would come to you and say, hey, guess what? You need to go work for your dad because you're not going to make it as a rabbi. So they were common, uneducated men, but guess what? They were the men Jesus used to transform and turn the world upside down, the Bible says. Why? Because they had spent time with Jesus. They had spent time with Jesus. Look what the text also says here. Look what it says. But seeing the men, the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when, but when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another saying, What shall we do to these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident of all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that we may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone of this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge, for we cannot speak of what we have seen and heard." We cannot help but speak of what we have seen and heard. It was a natural overflow. Because here's the truth, church. We talk about things we love. We talk about things we love. I'll prove it to you. Before I had children, I was annoyed with you people who have children. I'll just be straight honest with you. I was annoyed with you. I was annoyed with you. Why? Because I thought I knew how to parent better than you because I didn't have kids. Uh, you know what I mean? And I was always critique people. But the thing that annoyed me the most was how you could not go to any social event without somebody wanting you to look at pictures. It was annoying, right? Like, you'd go anywhere and be like, let me just show you this video. And you'd be like, showing you video, and they'd be like, did you see this? Or you cannot get on Facebook without somebody posting everything in that child's life. And then December 22nd came along, 
And we were handed, handed a 10-pound baby, little baby Esther. Wasn't nothing little about her, praise God. Healthy baby, right? They put her in her arms, and it, for the first time in my life, I understood. Understood how for every moment of the next several years of my life, I would show you pictures of my child, whether you wanted to see them or not. If we were together, I'd be like, look, let me just show you what she did. Let me just show you what she did. We had a group chat with my family, and I'd blow it up, just showing videos, showing this or that. I would send them to Rondell and Gay, and I'd, I'd send them to everybody and everybody who wanted to see them. I'd send them to Donnie. I'd send anybody and everybody. If you were on Snapchat, you hated me for the first couple months. And the things they don't tell you is when you quit sending to other people, you have this weird thing as a parent where you lay in bed with your spouse and just look at old pictures together. And you sit there and you cry, and you're like, what's wrong with us? And you're like, remember when she did this? And it was like a year and a half ago, Jim. And your wife's pregnant, so you might as well cry with her, right? Because what happens naturally is you talk about things you care about. It is a natural overflow of your life that the things you love and you really care about flow out of your life. We do this with restaurants. We do this with movies. And the question I want to ask you here today, why don't we do this with the gospel? Why don't we do this with the things of God? And I would argue it's not a strategy problem. It is a love problem. It's not like we don't have the right strategies. We don't have the right methods. No, at the end of the day, you know what's the best method for talking to people about Jesus? The method you actually use. Because at the end of the day, it's that we don't have an overflow in our lives of God's love in our lives. where We just, it bubbles over. We just talk about it. I'll give you a classic example of this. Have you ever been around people who are just freshly, freshly dating? They call it puppy love, right? Because it's annoying. It's annoying. And can, we just all, can we just all look at me right now? PDA is never cool. <laughs> you know what? I mean, just, just, just be honest. I've never walked by a young couple, especially in high school, and saw them kissing and said, good for them. <laughs> you know, self-expression. Y'all just do it. Stick it to the man. Show everybody. But there is something about when you see people in love that it makes you feel good when you're in love, right? There's also something bitter about it that when you see people in love and you're not in love, you get very bitter and angry. How dare they? How dare they be happy? I should be happy. When the truth of it is, if we have this fire of a relationship with the Lord privately, it should be very true that that private relationship with the Lord should overflow into our public relationship with others. It should overflow into it. It should carry over. So if you tell me I have an intense relationship with Jesus, me and him, we have a massive, massive inferno of love of our personal relationship. Me and the Lord, we are thick, 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 thick. We love each other. But yet you never talk about him. Yet you never want people to know him. Yet you never share what he's done for you in your life. I would question whether that's true or not. Because you naturally talk about things you love and care about. You naturally do. Any and everything, church, you naturally overflows what you love and what you care about. It flows out of your life. So I'm going to ask you that question. Why don't we share the gospel? I would say it's probably because the first one, like I said before, is we don't love the Lord like we should. Maybe the second one maybe is we don't believe in hell like we should. Let's just be honest. 
And maybe the third, we fear the rejection of man more than we fear the rejection of God. Maybe that's probably true as well. A lot of truth in there. But it should be an overflow of our lives. Point number three is my longest point. Just want you to bear with me. I kind of rushed through my first two points to get to my third point. So my third point's the longest one because it's so, so good. It's fire. If you don't act like it's fire, just pretend like it's fire. Amen? Because it's so good. Witnessing is risky, but not witnessing is riskier. I don't know if riskier is a word. It's not, is it, Donnie? It's not. Uh, um, but it is today, right? Witnessing is risky, but not witnessing is riskier. Hyphen there. Put it in there. You might think, man, Patrick, you don't understand. If I, if I witness, if I tell people about God, that's risky. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. But by you not sharing the gospel, guess what? It is riskier. <laughs> and I'll prove it to you using the text. Look what it says here in Acts chapter 4. We're continuing in this story with Peter and John in verse number 25. When they had released them, they went back to their friends. I love this. They went back to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted up their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the prophets plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord, against his anointed. For truly in this city, they, they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles, the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. But now, Lord, look upon these threats and grant your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness, while you stretch out your hands to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Can you just say, wow? Some of you, did you read the text? Did you follow along with me? Best you could. They get released by the chief priests and the elders, right? They get told, hey, don't talk about Jesus no more. You talk about Jesus, you know what I mean? You talk about Jesus, it's going to be bad for you. Don't talk about Jesus anymore. They leave. Go back to their homies. Go back to their friends. How'd it go, guys? It went great. It went so good, we should pray right now. And look how they pray, church. Did you pay attention to this? Because this is the main issue. This is the main point I'm trying to get you to leave with confidence. How did they leave that chamber? Look how they start off their prayer. Sovereign Lord, you who made the heaven, the earth, and the sea, and everything in them. Look what they understand that we as the people of God have forgotten. They pray to a God who is sovereign. 
Now, what do I mean they pray to a God sovereign? If you don't know what sovereign means, it is a fancy way of saying God is in control. God is sovereign over everything in all of creation. Look what they say. The sovereign Lord who made the heavens and the earth. God made everything you see, church. There's not a single thing you see that God did not make. You might be like, well, well, I made this. No, you made it using the resources God provides you to make it, using the hands God gave you to make it with. See what I'm saying? We cannot make anything. We can take things and remake stuff, but at the end of the day, we cannot make anything, right? Because the truth of the matter is, it is God who has made everything. God is the ultimate source. We use resources. Some of y'all get that now, right? Resources. But God is the source of all things. He made everything. They take it further, though, and they say, God, not only are you in control of heaven and earth, but you're even in control over the people who are on the earth. Look at this. Look what he says here. Who through the mouth of your fa- our father David, your servant, led by the Holy Spirit. So the, the, the Holy Spirit's empowering David here to write this psalm. When did the Gentiles rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. So what, what, what they're doing here is they're reminding God of his own promises he said would happen. Because the psalmist, way before Jesus is born through a virgin, way before the Roman Empire ever started, way before they started crucifying people, way before all of that, do you not understand that God already predestined those things to happen in his word and said they would happen? God said they would happen. So we see history fulfilled as God predicts it will be fulfilled. Some of you don't believe me. Some of you need to go back and read Abraham's dream. When he has a dream and the Lord comes to him and says, what, for 400 years my people will be in slavery. He predicts the exodus before Egypt is even dominating the society. Why? Because God always knows what's going to happen before it happens. Because God is outside time and space. Some of y'all right now, you look as confused as like ancient aliens host, right? Because at the end of the day, I want you to get this. I want you to understand what I'm getting at. For truly, in verse number 27, for truly in this city, there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. So he's connecting Jesus with the anointed one, because Jesus is the anointed one. Look what he says here. Both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles. Who are the Gentiles in the crucifixion story? The Romans. The Romans. And the people of Israel, that's the Jews. To do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. Do you see where they're drawing their power from? Do you see where they're drawing their 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 safety from. They are fully trusting in a God who is fully trustworthy. They are fully trusting in a situation. They, let me tell you, they're walking into situations that are out of their control, but they're trusting in the one who controls all situations. I don't think you're getting it, church. I think you're getting it. Let me get to you the best I know how to say it to you. Before you open your word to testify before God, God's already done the hard work. Before you open your mouth to say something about the Lord, do you not know that God has been working behind the scenes in that person's lives for maybe years, maybe decades for that moment for you to say something about what he's done in your life? 
Do you not understand that God has been in all the hard work? God's been prepping the soil. God's been getting them ready for that moment. God's got that appointment with you to talk to that person. He's got that divine appointment for that specific time, for that specific purpose. He's got you there in that moment. Everything in all of the cosmos is working for us to share the good news of the gospel. And all we have to do is open our mouths and talk, knowing that a God of all sovereign control goes before us and comes after us and takes care of everything. And yet we don't speak. Yet we don't open our mouths. Yet even though God is doing all the work, we stay silent. Withhold the only hope of the world that has ever known. But these men, these men and these women, what did they do? They did not pray for protection. Did you catch that? I don't know about you, but me and y'all, we went to an event. We got the crap beat out of us. If they beat us and beat us and said, hey, quit talking about Jesus. Now, I, I, I'll be honest with you, I would love to say I'd be like more empowered than ever. But let me remind you of the context in this time. They were hunting Christians and killing Christians, and nobody liked Christians. Nobody liked them, right? They could kill you for pretty much about any reason they could think of. If we were in this time period, I'd be thinking, I would have been the person who stood up during the prayer meeting and said, let's go get them. You would have been the person crying in a corner. And I would have been there with you maybe. But these men and women, what do they pray for? They don't say, God, protect us. What do they pray, church? God, embolden us. God, give us boldness to share the gospel with people. God, give us boldness to share the only hope we have. You see, they trusted in the sovereign work of God, and that empowered them to know that if God was in control of the very crucifixion of Jesus, if God was in control of the very resurrection of Jesus, then what could these men or these women do to harm their church? Because at the end of the day, God was still in control. Guys, God is in control. God has always been in control. There's never a time God is not in control. Let me tell you, some of you out there, and I'm not trying to preach against you, I'm not trying to tear down a theological camp here, but if we can't trust in the sovereignty of God, what can we trust in? If we trust a God who's not sovereign, we've got a God who's flawed. Because the truth of the matter is, God has always been and always will be in control. And these men trusted in that. These men and these women, guess what they did? It empowered them to go back in there and keep sharing the gospel. Because God has called all of us to be witnesses. God has called all of us for it to be a natural overflow of our lives. And God always challenges us to always remember, sharing the gospel is risky. You will get rejected. More than you got rejected for your, for your junior dance, Right? You'll get rejected more than you can possibly fathom. But you know what gets us through is knowing that God has worked behind the scenes and it's not for the masses, it's for that one. It's for that one who God has been working for and drawing to himself. Because let me promise you this, the closest you will ever feel to Jesus on this side of eternity, and I stand by this because I believe it's a biblical principle, the closest you will ever feel this side of eternity with Jesus is when you are going to share the good news of what he's done for you and for the world by sharing the gospel. That's the closest you'll ever feel with him. It is, church. Because what he reminded the disciples there in Matthew 28, go into the world, make disciples. What he remind them at the end, and lo, I'll be with you. Because you know where Jesus is with us the most? In the going. 
and the going, Jesus is with us the most. Because we're walking by faith. We're walking by faith. I don't know what's going to happen, Lord, but guess what? I'm going to keep sharing. I'm going to keep sharing and sharing and sharing until somebody says yes. Because there are other people sharing their message too. Do you think we're the only people out there sharing news, church? Now, we are the only people out there sharing the true news. We're the only people out there sharing the best news. We're the only people out there sharing God's news, but there's other people sharing their news as well. And let me remind you of that fact that God is sovereign, God is in control, and at the end of the day, we have to share the gospel. We've got to pray for it, too. I love what R.A. truly says about this. Pray for great things, expect great things, work for great things, but above all else, pray for great things. You pray, you work, you pray, and you work, and you pray, and you work, and you expect God to do big things. You just keep expecting God to do big things. Because God is going to do big things. He's going to do big things. Some of you might be thinking, well, that didn't, that didn't last too long, but they kept emboldened. Oh, it, it lasted longer than you think it would. You see, the truth of the matter is, after they prayed this prayer, they went back and they kept sharing the gospel. But you know what happened? They got beat. In Acts chapter 5, it tells us this. When they left the presence of the council, they got, they got arrested again. They got pulled before the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for his name. But every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that Christ Jesus. They didn't cease. They got beat, church. They got 39 strokes. 39 strokes with the whip, 39 strikes with the, with the rod. They got beat. 39 lashes was the most common the, the penalty in this day and age. 39 beat marks on their back. But you know what they did? They said, praise God, we were able to suffer for his name. And they went back into it again. Sometimes I get my feelings hurt when I go back and look at old Facebook post I have and I look on the comments and I'll see a friend on there I hadn't seen in a while on my feed and I'll say I wonder what they're doing these days and I'll click on it and they defriended me or I've been blocked it happens a lot that to be honest with you that rejection I cannot stand it I, I hate it I loathe it right can't stand rejection can't stand it but I have no doubt in my mind that probably that individual probably defriended me or blocked me because something I posted on Facebook or somebody saw me preach about this, that, because let me tell you something. You can't make everyone happy. You just can't. Only one person I know to do that is the bread man or a Krispy Kreme worker, right? I mean, that's about it. Red's done it. they got the best job in the world. They bring happiness to everybody. But other than that, you're going to disappoint people. You're going to offend people. But let, me, let, me, let me remind you of this, and I've said it before in the past, so I want to remind you of it again. If the gospel offends people, that's on them. But if I offend people, that's on me. Some of y'all may be missing this. This book will offend people. This word will offend people. We'll make people ticked off. We'll make people hate you, curse, curse you, talk bad about you. This word will do all those things. But make sure when you are sharing the gospel, make sure when you're sharing the word of God, you're not sharing your word with God's word to back up your word. No, you're sharing God's word. And then when people are offended, they're offended of the message. They're not offended by the messenger. 
There's a big difference there. It's a big difference there. Pastor Nick, what would you have us do? I talked a little bit about this last week. Some of y'all got a, a foretaste of it. What I would have us to do every Sunday is I'd have us to gather. On Sundays, guess what? We gather here to get fed the Word of God. You know what the hardest part about preaching, the thing I remind myself of most, most often, is I'm not just preaching to you, I'm preaching to myself, right? I'm preaching to both of us. Preaching to you, preaching to me, and preaching to all of us. We gather here, and then we scatter. We gather and scatter. We gather here on Sundays, get the Word of God, then we scatter out. We go all over western Kentucky. And I told you last week, we got people at the plants, we got people in the school system, we got people everywhere. They don't even know you're there. We gather, then we scatter. I love what J.D. Greer says to his church, the Summit Church there in North Carolina. He says like this. He says, every Sunday when they dismiss their services, he looks at his whole entire church, he doesn't say you're dismissed. He didn't say, travel in mercies, peace out, Girl Scouts. He didn't say that. You know what he says? Every Sunday he looks at his whole entire church, he says, you're sent. You are sent. Because they are sent out as missionaries to the community. They are sent. Because at the end of the day, I would rather be rejected by people and be accepted by Jesus to be rejected by Jesus and be accepted by people. Because the truth of the matter is, church, God has called us to love our city well. And we can only love our city well, not by feeding them, not by clothing them. We should do those things. Those are ministry mercies. I mean, mercy ministries. There it is. We should do those things. But if we do those things and don't share the gospel, we're wasting our time. You staying with me? If we do those things but don't share the gospel, we're wasting our time. Because there's other organizations, they can do those things. But the church is the only organization that can do those things and share the good news of Jesus. What profiteth a man if we give him clothes because the clothes are going to wear out? If we give him food and the food's going to wear out? When at the end of the day, we've got to give him something more than food and clothing, we've got to give him the gospel. We've got to love our city well. We've got to love our city well. I want to put this up here for, so we can kind of read it as a church. Tim Keller, I'm on a tel- uh, Tim Keller kick right now. If you did not know, Tim Keller, some of you might not know what I'm talking about. He pastored a church in New York City called the Redeemer Church. Very, very deep theologian guy, extremely educated. Talk about being in New York City on the hub of secularism. Uh, and he was there, and of course he planted a church in New York City. It thrived. It blew up into a mega church there. Powerful, powerful man. Powerful preacher. He did not preach with fire and brimstone. He preached with just a soft way about him that was powerful. And this came from one of his sermons. I want, you, I want to read it to you because it's so, so good. Listen to what he says here. People who withdraw from the world and just hate the world, nobody sees your good deeds. They don't glorify God. You're not involved with caring for the poor. You're not engaged. On the other hand, people who accommodate the culture are never persecuted. How do we know the radical gospel is turning us into a counterculture for the common good? A counterculture that's very distinct, very different from the society around us, but who shows the society we love them and care about them. We love our enemies because we're saved by a man who died loving his enemies. This balance is awfully hard to maintain. In Jeremiah 29, some of the exiles wanted to stay outside of Babylon. If you don't know, they got sent into exile, right? And they wanted to stay outside of Babylon. But what did God command his people to do? They wanted to stay outside of Babylon and stay pure. The Babylonians wanted them to come into Babylon and lose their cultural identity. But God told them through Jeremiah, he's paraphrasing here, but this is what the gist of it. I want you to do the hardest thing possible. I don't want you to stay out and be different. I don't want you to go in and become like them. I want you to go deeply in and stay very different. 
That is what God wants all of us in this room to do. Not to go, not to stay out of culture and say, literally stay out of culture and say, you guys can go to hell, I don't care what you do. That's what you're saying when you pull away from culture. Not, not doing that, right? God doesn't want us to go into culture and become like the culture. God doesn't want us to do that either. But you know what God does call us to do? I think Keller nails it here. God wants us to go in the culture, deep in the culture, but stay very different from the culture. Be among them, but not like them. Be a part of them, but be set apart. Does that make, that make sense? At the end of the day, God calls us as the people of God to be the salt and light of the city. To be a city that's set on a hill so that we are so deep in the public square that people notice that we are different. And some of you are thinking, well, Pastor Nick, I'm one or the other. I want to be out of the culture and I want nothing to do with them. That's wrong, brother. You might be like, why? I want to be in the culture and be just like the culture. That's wrong, sister. Because God calls us to be in the city, but not of the city. God calls us to be in the city and be a part of the city, but set apart from the city. God calls us to love our city well. And the only hope we're going to have, church, of loving our city well is if we don't say, hey, you guys, we don't care about you, no, but we get heavily involved. And when people ask us, why are you so involved with the city? Why are you so involved with the culture? Why are you so involved in the community? That we remind them we are doing this because a man died for us when we were enemies of his. And we remind them that the gospel is why we are here. It is the life, it is the death, it is the resurrection of Jesus that we do these things. Because that's the kind of difference this world is longing for. That's the kind of church this world is looking for. And that's the kind of church God has called us to be. And the only way that's going to happen, church, is not just by opening our hands, but by opening our mouths. Many people get that wrong too. So I don't have to share the gospel. I can just live a holy life. You're not Jesus. Jesus lived a perfect life, but guess what? He shared the gospel with his mouth as well. It's our words and our deeds. It's not just our words and no deeds. That's called hypocrisy. It's not just deeds and no words. No, it's got to be our words and our deeds. And some of you, I know what you're thinking. Pastor Nick, I just share Obi-Wan Kenobi on Facebook from time to time, hoping people get saved. I just put on there, hey, share this if you want to go to heaven. That's not evangelism. Look at me. That's not evangelism. Do your neighbors know about Jesus? Do you even know your neighbors? When you move out of the community, are they sad you left? Are they thinking, praise God? Do they know you're a church person? They know when you go to... Do they know... Do they know when something's going on, they can call on you to pray? Do they know, church? Because if they don't, then that's on us. That's on us. That's on us. I pray this morning as we wrap up the series, How We Grow. I pray this morning as we get ready to be sent as we leave here today. I pray you truly, truly understand that you're a witness or you're an imposter. 
either Jesus is real, the gospel is real, the church is real, hell is real, or none of it is. It's either one way or the other. And you might say, well, I need more motivation than love. I've got nothing for you. Fear will motivate you. It will. It won't last, though. Obligation, it'll motivate you. It won't last. The only thing I've discovered in my 32 years of going around the sun is the only thing that sustains me to follow Christ is not my willpower, is not me at all. It's the power of God's Spirit working in my life to call me to love Him. That's why I do it. It's God's Spirit working in my life. Nothing to do with me. So if love doesn't motivate you, I don't know what will. Nothing else will. So once you come pray, God will give you a 